Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. Due to the coronavirus lockdown, the CIM Podcast is currently being recorded via web conferencing. We apologise for any issues with the audio. Hi everybody and welcome to the CIM Podcast, the penultimate one of the season. And, you know, it's tackling a tricky question, marketing. Is it a young person's game? Is it still a young person's game? You know, pre-pandemic, at least, it had this image, whether true or not, of a sort of high-octane, sociable, youthful, even work-hard, play-hard sort of industry. And to tackle this question, perhaps even explode this myth, we have with us the ever-youthful Morag Kudderford-Jones, who is editor of Catalyst. And how are you, Morag, today? Terribly well, Ben. Thank you very much. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Summer's rapidly uh, racing up upon us, and it's great to have you here before we finish this season for our summer break. And it's a tricky one, isn't it? You, you found that this stereotype of marketing is actually quite far from the truth. And in fact, there's been some pretty significant calls for a change in attitude, hasn't there, in Catalyst? Not least from those people who are offering a great deal to our industry who are 50 plus. There have. And in fact, it's it's a really interesting paradox because I don't know about you, but when I look, it's, it's been, despite the fact we've been locked down, it's been eventastic. I can't count the number of webinars, presentations and things I've been involved in one way or another. And one of the big concerns, obviously, on companies' minds is when they put these things together is to make sure that they are representative, that they're diverse, because there is nothing worse than putting your event on LinkedIn and having a lot of people pile on going, what's with the male pale and stale, guys? You know, the typical panel um, of four white middle-aged admin. And so it's it's kind of a bit of a paradox because, of course, we're we're stating in in Catalyst this issue that there is no place for middle-aged ad men anymore. That it is, as you've just said, young and thrusting and startup mentality, and everyone's playing foosball and wearing Converse high tops and their baseball caps backwards. Mm. And there is a real mix. So yes, there is the pale male and stale. But that is the top echelons of advertising where you've got the ad men who've been in post for 40 something years. And it's the same ones doing the rounds of the panels. But that's a very niche part of the whole industry. And generally what we seem to celebrate in the whole of, of the marketing industry, not just advertising alone, but we seem to celebrate youth. You can't move for 30 under 30 top 21 young entrepreneurs. Um, there's, there's even one, I think, I could be speaking out of turn, but something along the line celebrating young mothers in the marketplace. Mm. And, and there was a bit of a backlash again, someone saying, why am I so special just because I managed to go back to work and have a child? This is what most of us are doing. Right. Um, right. But overall, it's very much the look how young and thrusting and how much these people have achieved in a short space of time. Mm. And the problem is that they are the outliers. Right. right. These are people, yes, let's let's absolutely champion people who've made an absolutely massive splash and come up with a brilliant idea and seem to be incredibly young. They're shaking it up. They're bringing a new generation's perspective. But by and large, what is winning, you know, hair and tortoise, what's winning the race is 
a lot of accumulated experience, expanded networks, um, different types of jobs. And, you know, that's time. It's like a good sourdough starter, Ben. You can't rush these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that the the sort of obsession with youth is um, exercising and agitating those people in the industry that are, you know, 50 plus, 55 plus, who have a great deal of experience, know a lot about the principles of marketing and, and have a great deal to offer? Absolutely. I mean, there are endless frustrating conversations going on in boardrooms up and down the land, not just our land. Um, you know, we talk about we need data to measure the impact of this campaign. We need to project how this is going to work. And an older, more experienced executive is going to be able to stand up with some confidence in that boardroom and go, according to my experience, having done similar things in the past, having followed these trends, I can state with a degree of confidence that this will work. Can I give you an absolute number on it? No, but my my experience, my team's experience, um, and my you know practical knowledge should be of equal weight. And I mean, there was one startling figure. This is this has all come out of the the Catalyst Roundtable in the in the next edition, where you know we called it seniority complex. Um, there were a number of less less flattering uh, titles we could have thought of. Um, But one of the startling statistics is that only 5% of people over 50 are in creative industries these days. Right. Where are we losing? You know, we talk about about the leaky pipeline when it comes to women in leadership. What are the rest of them doing if they're not in creative industries? You know, are they leaving the workplace? Are the creative industries alienating these people and then going to something else? I mean, what's the dynamic there? I, th- I think it's all of the above. I was having conversations with the attendees before they joined the round table saying, you know, what's your experience? Because I wanted to find out if this was even a thing before I started it going very much as a thing. Um, and I won't name names as to who said this, but I said, you know, it seems very interesting that normally we try and get brand CMOs and things to our round tables, a good mixture, but on, oftentimes we're looking for brand CMOs or agency leaders, etc. And I couldn't find a very large number of those. Mm. were willing to fess up to how old they were at any rate um but a lot of them were in consultancy right. um, set up on their own were um or were frankly you know making much of their wonderful ill-gotten gains from several years in advertising and put a tidy sum away and could do what on earth they wanted but this person i was speaking to said yeah that seems to be the only avenue you, people don't want to employ you again redundancies during lockdown were significantly higher in the older generation and they were struggling to get positions. People were looking for younger, cheaper, but also potentially, you know, blinded by the fact that uh, received wisdom suggests you're young, agile and, and hungry and therefore that's where you... And, and tech savvy, and tech savvy, which is... Exactly, which is a complete misnomer. I and mean, we had Blake Cahill from Philips um, on the table and what he doesn't know about digital, you know, you don't stop learning just because you've blown out more than 40 candles on the cake. And, you know, he's he's got a gimlet eye on all things digital at a highly technological company at Philips. So the fact that there, there is, let's not, let's not gloss over it, there is a digital skills gap. Yeah. Um, CIMs identified that. 
But is it universal? No. Should we say that all over 50s can't run a mobile phone? Definitely not. And in fact, somebody I was talking to for an entirely different article said that silver surfers, such called, um, had dramatically increased over lockdown and were now perfectly happy. They hadn't been jammed into this pipeline um, grumblingly and desperately trying to hold on to their Bakelite transistor radios. They'd had this world opened up to them out of necessity and they're going, God, blow me. Look what I can do now. This is fantastic. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and it, but it, but it's, it goes back to this point about, you know, the, the old adage that instinct is actually just a, a, a series of built up experiences over a long period of time. That means that you are able to, as you said earlier, say, I, I can't tell you necessarily why this will work, but my experience will tell you that it will work. Um, you know, digital is a tool. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way of measuring stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a tool. It's a process. But actually, the what we're trying to get to as marketers, presuming is human emotion, trying to find that human response. And actually, when you've built up an experience of that over many, many years, that is of huge value, whether or not you have your finger on the button of any particular digital tool, isn't it? Well, exactly. And nobody at any point suggests that every lead marketer needs to be an expert in everything. Part of the skill and part of the wonderful benefit of pottering through this life for a certain amount of time is you pick up people with you. You know, yeah. you get attached with, the, the, I'm going to call them sticky willies because that's what we call them in Scotland. Those little green things that stick to your clothes when you walk through a field. You know, as you go through life, you pick up people that you can call on and say, you know what, I know so-and-so, they're an absolute genius when it comes to SEO. Me, not a clue. But you get these people on board. You know how to manage people. You know how to get the best out of people. You know who to call. Not always a ghostbuster. And, you know, and you have to be a certain age to even know that. Um, so these people have a huge amount of value. And I, go, I think I've used this analogy before. It's one of my favorite ones that um, someone has this massively complex piece of engineering. They can't, the whole young team all come out of MIT. They can't get this massive piece of engineering to work. Call in this old duffer who wanders up with a hammer and smacks it hard and it all works. They yep. hand over a bill for 10 grand. They went, 10 grand? You hit it with a hammer. Oh, it was $5 for the hammer, but it was $9,995 for the 30 years of experience of knowing where to hit it. <laughs> yes, well, exa well, exactly. It's a great analogy. And a lot of the overfitters you spoke to clearly demonstrably know where to hit the machine. Absolutely. But does the industry know that it needs these people? I mean, that's my question, is that what can the industry do to stop this obset, complete obsession with the youth and apply a much fairer uh, policy to hiring where we mix uh, uh, youth and experience to, for the best effect? Put its big boy pants on and hire them. Um, I wonder, actually, if one of, the, one of the problems is that, like policemen, managers are getting younger. Right. And in a big thrusting business environment, then where you're a little nervous about your role in things, you know, we're, we're having to justify everything. Marketers talk about justifying things with data. Managers have to justify their decisions. It can be intimidating to bring on someone older and more experienced than you. And I've heard so many times this sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, an aphorism, piece of advice, whatever. Always go out and hire people who know how to do what you can't do. Yeah. You know, don't be frightened of hiring people who know more than you. You hire someone who knows more than you, you make better business. 
And I just wonder if this championing of immaturity has gone all the way up to the top. We have younger managers. And if you are not, it takes a great amount of self-awareness and self-assuredness yeah. to be able to say, I'm going to hire someone with 40 years of experience who could blow me out of the water with just anecdotes that they've heard over the last 40 years in every board meeting we have. They're going to make me seem just as I am, much younger and much less experienced. Actually, yeah. that's not bad. No, it's not bad. And it's a great hiring advice that you should hire people who can do things that you cannot. Um, but but it's, it, it, takes a, it, it takes a tough human being, I think, in some cases, as you say, to follow that advice because it will mean that you will find people who are who are demonstrably better than you at certain things and let's hope that the industry takes this message and has a little bit of think about it as we come out of this uh, pandemic we're hoping and start looking for for new people to take us forward so the youthful stereotype has been i think very damaging for the industry i mean it's 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 it seems to me as a fairly uh, clear conclusion from your work but you found a new stereotype which could be quite beneficial and this is this new stereotype of women in marketing mm. a new type of gender stereotyping if you like which conversely or perversely may i say suggests may actually be a good thing what, what on earth is that all about morag so this was an article that um, author and brand consultant Giles Lurie and uh, one of his colleagues, Katie Mazzino, uh, produced for us. And when I first read it, I bristled. Oh, right. As a woman, I went, why are we talking about Tupperware in 2021? And why are we talking about soft skills and women being very good at convincing people to do things? And then I had a little word with myself. And I was like, okay, so I've spent so long banging the drum going, women are equal, women can do everything. Well, not really banging the drum, I'm not that bad, but, but you know, going, women are equal, we can all do the same things. Why, why are we making this distinction? And increasingly, I am coming to the conclusion that there are differences and we should recognize them and exploit them. And it's not universal. There are women that can be, I'm not sure I can say this, but there are women who can be absolutely testosterone driven ball breakers in the boardroom. And there are men who can be incredibly empathetic and soft skilled and everything else. But it has there, it identifies a number of feminine traits, shall we say, um, many of which will seem completely cliched. But a cliche is only something that gets said lots. Yeah. Um, and I read the article again with a sensible head on and went, you know, this is true. We need to make, we need to, th th this phrase, bringing your whole self to work. So the fact that I'm a wife, a mother, an editor, a writer, a freelancer, a gardener, all these things, I bring all of these things with me to work. And it's not just to sit around the water cooler and talk about what the kids did and what I planted at the weekend. There are skills and insights from absolutely everything. Um, I, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said that women should be in charge of the UN peacekeeping force just by, by dint of trying to get everyone to get their right shoes on and the right bag and out of the door on time to school every morning. Yeah. Um, again, always with a caveat, yes, there are plenty of men who are brilliant at that too. But these things tend to fall to women. It tends to be things that women are skilled at and women tend to be the peacemakers and tend to be the negotiators. Um, they tend to be the ones who find 
who bootstrap and find the chinks in things and find the alternative way around. Um, so I am just, I'm very aware that this will sound to some like it's going back to the bad old sad old days of stereotyping, but there is a lot to be said for it. And if we throw out everything that we have been um, and learned, then we're not bringing our whole selves to work. We're bringing a caricature of what we think the modern woman, the modern man, the modern executive is. Some branches of feminism, of course, do say that there are innate characteristics to women or, or there are general characteristics for women which are much more common in women than are in men. And other branches of feminism uh, say that actually, you know, that that's not true. This article obviously argues the former. How do you think it will go down with the industry? You, you bristled at first and then became more and more convinced when you thought about it. Are you expecting some green ink letters? <laughs> I'd love a green ink letter. I always love a green ink letter. I think what we do in this article is we give some brilliant examples of some really top flight women. So Dolly Parton, for example. Dolly Parton is the feminine icon par excellence. You know, she's all waist and chest and nails and lipstick and hair. She's also one of the primary investors in Moderna. She's also an incredibly steely businesswoman. But she does it all by embracing rather than rejecting what makes her her. Um, we also feature Marsha Kilgore, who found a beauty pie. You know, everyone would say, oh, well, she's a woman. She would find a beauty range. Well, why not do what you're good at? <laughs> you know, um, so it's it's very much. I want to urge people not to do the Twitter approach to reading an article. Here's the headline, women stereotypes. Oh, my God, are we not past this yet? Read it and find out why, you know, we, we, we say um, we need more women on boards. Why do we need more women on boards? Because companies with a higher proportion of women on boards tend to do better. So why do they do better? They do better because of contrasting personalities. And you can't have a contrasting personality if you're all trying to be the same. Yeah, so it's an interesting one, isn't it? And then that I do commend it to, to the audience. It's a, it's a good read, challenging in parts. And, um, you know, it certainly got me thinking. And I'll be interested to see, actually, what correspondence you get. And let's hope it's expressed in more than 240 characters, which is what's stimming a lot of debate these days. Um, if I get a green pen letter, Ben, I will send one back in lovely lilac. Well, send, send one back in lilac and we'll we'll discuss the green ink, if it's a good green ink letter, next time you're on the, the, yeah. on the show. Uh, this one, I, I think, can, can run and run. It's interesting you talk about contrasting personalities on boards and, you know, the evidence is there. there's a heavy amount of evidence that these boards with uh, diverse personnel uh, do perform better. You know, they're more commercially successful. You found that it's not just about the actual men, women, uh, ethnicity, gender divide on there. It's, it's about the diversity is more than that and that it, marketers have got to be careful to find diversity of thought and diversity of creativity and not just hire people who may look different but all have similar ideas. And that's a tough one to tackle, isn't it? I, I think... The problem is, is that a lot of companies are going at diversity and inclusion and doing it visually. Um, so gray hair, tick, female, tick, black, Asian, tick, without realizing, I mean, we've, we've just talked about what it is to be a woman. It's not just to make sure that it's 50-50, it's what women bring to the table. 
And so you have to be very careful when you say, oh, yes, I'm going to be diverse. I'm bringing black, Asian, Hispanic people to the table. You have to realize what baggage that brings. It's good baggage, by the way. Spoiler alert. We talked to Walter Tigir and Ron Lewis, who are two creative directors from the States, two black creative directors. And they have been massively concerned about the lack of diversity um, at higher echelons, particularly in the creative industries. And this isn't just a box ticking exercise. Culturally, just as we said, we have to admit women are different. Culturally, black culture is different. And not only do you have to have representation from a face on the, on the board or a face on that website, you have to take their ideas and their cultural cues into consideration. And it's one of those things you can't do unless you have lived experience of that community. Um, one of the stats that uh, leads into the article of creative differences is that only 12% of CMOs in America are diverse, come from a diverse background. Um, from a population that is 18% Hispanic, only 4% of senior executives are Hispanic. Right. So it's, it's not enough to say, oh, well, you know, the proportion. No, the proportions are still far too small. Um, so, so these two chaps, Walter and Ron, came up with um, this, this company called, it's not really a company because they haven't sold it and they haven't put any financial value on it, but they call it Diverse Creatives. Because for everyone, if we go back to that pale, male and stale panel, the cry comes up going, well, we asked people and we couldn't find any. And they like, couldn't find any? Well, here, I'm going to open this up. Black and diverse creatives, please register. They got 1,600 so-called diverse creatives registering in five days. It's now 3,000 strong. So if you can't find a diverse creative, you now know where to look. Yeah. But the, the problems that they were talking about are several fold. One is that then you go and get that diverse creative, but you don't let them have a voice. They're there in the room to be the token and they must have the voice. Two is that they are almost always young, mm. which is great. Let's give young people an opportunity. And from our earlier discussion about you no know, marketers over 50, I'm not bashing the young, young, very, very important. And they're essentially ingredient in becoming old. Um, but People are either bleeding out of the industry, again, another leaky pipeline, but they're not seeing people in senior roles. So yeah. promote, 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 um, champion and promote. And again, another problem with that is mentorship. There aren't enough mentors. There's not enough. Walter and Ron said there's not enough people like us who can lead and, and bring that in. But it's all about bringing that diversity of thought. And you can't have that diversity of thought without lived experience. You can't. So you need, but you need both. And is it possible to have the uh, diversity of ethnicity and diversity of gender, but still not have the diversity of thought? Oh, it's enti it's entirely possible. I mean, you can get incredible. Our, our government's full of incredibly um, non-creative thinkers of every gender and race I can find. Um, but you won't know until you give people a chance, will you? And that there isn't enough. We don't have, you know, we talk about doing research. We can't come to that conclusion because our sample size is way too small. To be it's way too small. I mean, it sounds to me that we're we're a little bit better for hiring for diversity, as you say, in the younger age groups. And we're mm. terribly poor at hiring for diversity in the older age groups, probably because we're not hiring older people at all, which takes us full circle, partly because 
we're not hiring older people at all, which takes us full circle to the start of the show. And when we go out and if marketers and managers here take a message from this, it seems to me that a good message they could take is hire older people. And when you do, try, try to hire diverse older people. And if we can do that, we're going to be partway to winning this battle. You can, certainly. Hire older people, they're out there. Hire diverse people, they're out there. Hire diverse older people, they're out there. But equally, grow your own. Keep people enthused. Give them mentors. Bring them up through the industry. Make sure they don't see a ceiling of any kind, glass, age or otherwise. Keep them going. Keep them in. Stop them leaking out of the business to somewhere else. Show, demonstrate, you know, show, don't tell. Show that these people will be valued, invested in and cared for, you know, up until the moment they say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm quite, I'm quite happy now. Do you think people, marketers are still then hiring too much in their own image and therefore creating a sort of homogenous mass with the same skills, same lived experience? And they really are going to, have to take a little bit more of a risk and try and step out a bit more to find people with different skills because uh, the skills demands that we need are very diverse. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about stepping outside your comfort zone. I don't can't really think of many that do. And when I go back to saying about the, you know, the managers who won't hire older than them, mm. they're scared. There's so much that's scary about hiring difference, differences of opinion. You're going to have to fight your corner, not have a whole bunch of people trailing after you with yes, men and women saying, yes, you're absolutely right. I completely, you know, I completely understand that. There's a lot to be said about not understanding it at all and yeah. being brave enough to, to go with it anyway. It is. And, and, and again, hiring for what you need rather than what you can already do. And, you know, this, as I said at the start of the show, is our penultimate podcast of the season. Can you believe we're coming up to our long summer break? Um, well, we all spend, uh, you know, hopefully a couple of weeks on, on not on the shores of the Mediterranean, but on the shores of the North Sea or wherever it, <laughs> wherever it will be this summer. Um, next week of our final uh, podcast, we've been joined by Claire Kemsley from Hayes. She's going to be talking about, um, you know, how those marketing skills are really shifting in, in the industry and what we need to do to make sure we're satisfying this, the demands for skills that we need. And I think a good thing to start with is to try to be a bit more diverse in our recruitment. And anyone who's interested in that should pick up a copy of Catholic Magazine, which is for all CIM members coming out right now on digital and uh, uh, in print. And um, I do commend it to you. More, I mean, it sounds again like a fantastic issue. You've probably had a great fun pulling together. Um, I'm going to see you again on the show soon. Uh, very much hope so. I shall, be, I shall be back with all the juicy bits from the next issue, I expect. Yeah, that sounds, sounds great. We can't wait. We'll see you after the summer. Then. Have a great summer. And um, I'll see you probably at some point in the autumn to talk about the next uh, super soar away issue of Catalyst magazine. <laughs> great to see you again, Morag. Thank you very much. Fantastic, Ben. Thanks ever so much. Have a wonderful break. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can also join the conversation on Twitter at CIM underscore exchange, where we'll keep you updated about the latest episodes. See you next time. CIM Marketing Podcast.